Hello and welcome to this preview episode of OperaCast, your one-stop shop for the latest opera news, reviews, interviews and general chit-chat. My name is David Ward and OperaCast is brought to you by Northern Opera Group and Chapel FM. This is a special preview episode of OperaCast to give you a taste of what to expect before we launch in spring 2019. You can keep up to date with developments by following us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at OperaCast and at operacast.co.uk. In January 2019, we'll be launching a crowdfund campaign which you can play a part in. Visit any of our social media sites, our websites, or take a look in the show notes for details. I'm delighted to be joined for today's episode by conductor, fell runner, and expert caver, Ben Crick. How are you, Ben? I'm not too bad at all. I'm not sure if I'm an expert caver, but I've never died, so that shows some competency. In terms of uh, hobbies for conductors, I'd say that kind of caving is probably one of the more bizarre it is but it's a great hobby and everyone should do it but it's, it's, i've got i've had more articles written about my caving in music publications than the actual music bbc music magazine did this thing about weird hobbies and, and caving were all they were interested in oh yeah and as a conductor it's like an afterthought it's good to have a niche though it is it is you've got to have an angle haven't you and i'm very northern and i like caving that's mine very good and it should be said you've got a bit of a, a bit of a cold today. i'm not a healthy bunny I'm, I'm not right well it's been a busy few weeks and my body's decided now's the time to to jack it in we should say that we're recording on the 17th of december so not only is the the weather drawing in but uh given it's the christmas period i dare say you've been quite busy recently eight messiahs um this year 15 gigs in the last 24 days it's been all it's been all go and then in the tradition of freelance musicians nothing for a month and a half now it's yeah. great it's great but lots to be thankful for santa for for giving you all of this work at I this am, time i'm of very year. very grateful yeah cheers for that cheers for cheers handle so let's take a look at what we've got for today starting with wexford's new season which has just been announced the uh, opera festival in ireland which specializes in repertoire slightly outside of the mainstream have announced their festival for 2019 which will take place between the 22nd of october and the 3rd of november coming up next year der freischutz by weber Adina by Rossini in a double bill with La Cucina, a world premiere by Andrew Sinet, Massonet's Don Quixote, and a concert performance of The Veiled Prophet by the Irish composer Charles Villiers Stamford. Anything there, Ben, that takes your fancy? Yeah, I mean, yeah, Freischutz is one of my favourite operas. It's interesting, though, what constitutes outside the repertoire, because um, they do specialise in stuff that's not the normal thing. But in Germany, for example, Freischutz is just about the most core piece of repertoire, but I've never seen it done in, in, in this country or in Ireland. Um, so what constitutes repertoire is what the real question is there. Um, the other works, I don't know. If I'm being dead honest, I don't know the Rossini. I certainly don't know the Stanford. I didn't know Stanford wrote operas. I, I couldn't name any other. So I'm sure he did. Well, absolutely. You... I mean, I'm I'm a, a little bit of a, a Stanford file. Is this your, is this your I thing? Must say. I do. I do love a bit of Stanford. Um, I mean, he's been neglected as an opera composer for many, many years. Yeah. Um, a couple of years ago, to blow our own trumpet, we did uh, some scenes from his Much Do About Nothing, uh, no, did, which is a yeah. cracking piece. Absolutely Don't cracking piece. Don't know it. Brilliant. We uh, there's a recording on our website, which again I won't go on about too much, but uh, do it. Yeah. Do please go on to northernoperagroup.co.uk and, and look out the recording. Um, it's a great piece, a lot of wit, um, a wonderful. Uh... Do you think it's out of fashion? Do you think it's a fashion thing? Because I was, I was asked just, I'm not, I'm not really a singer, but I got booked a bit ago to sing his songs of the fleet, mm. and musically it's interesting. But there's all the, I think the problem is he's clearly a product of empire and he sets these these poems in there that are they're on the brink of jingoistic <laughs> they're, they're they're on the and and that's not fashionable and it's certainly not fashionable within sort of like this 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 left-wing arts world that we all work in and yeah. i'm wondering if if that's why 
there's something political about why Stanford's neglected. There's a few like that. Yeah, I'm personally, I don't, I'm not sure about the political nature of the works that are neglected. I think there's something about this very earnest, yeah, often quite sort of um, kind of religious, kind of Victorian opera, especially kind of English and British opera, yeah. which is 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 not very sexy. No, um, it isn't. So yeah, kind of Stanford. Um, a lot of that kind of, you know, kind of Wallace, kind of things like Mauritania, you know, kind of yeah. big pieces at the time. Nowadays, they're quite kind of stodgy sounding works, very worthy kind of pieces. But it's almost deliberate. Like, have you heard Sull- Sullivan's opera, Ivanhoe? Yeah. yeah. I just prefer the GNS stuff. There's something yeah. light and frothy, and it's not 100% to my taste, GNS, but at least it's honest and does what it does. There's sort of like an idea that it becomes opera in the, the early 1900s, the late 1800s, and it has to have. A gravitas to it, yeah. and we, and it sort of like milks all the wit and and lightness. Which, if you look at the rest of Europe at that time, Rossini, Donizetti, okay, a bit a bit earlier, they're ploughing that same wit into opera, and I think there's sort of like a, there's an overthoughtness about the music of Stanford, about the music of, of Sullivan when he's being serious, and even some 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 Elgar falls into that category as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know there are reasons why why they've been neglected, but it's good to see people kind of pay, taking a punt on them. Yeah, it is. and Wakeford's a, a proper established festival. It's, it's nice to see him doing it. Yeah, so you've got the Veiled Prophet at Stamford next season. Uh, New Sussex Opera have just done uh, Stamford's The Travelling Companion, um, and I know that they've just pr- produced a recording of that. Um, oh, yeah. So if you didn't get a chance to to see it when it was down in London and the South East, do check out the recording. Um, I think for me as well, I'm really interested uh, in the Wexford season, the uh, the Massonet, Don Quixote. Yeah, again, don't know it. I only, I only really know Tyst. That's the only Massonet I know. Yeah, another one of those kind of slightly neglected opera composers, Massonet. Um, but one again, it, one hit wonder. They, they become known as one hit wonders, but they weren't. Um, he wrote loads of operas, but we all only know one or two, don't we? Yeah, That's... absolutely. And I think you know something like his his Cendrillon, You know, as a if you're kind of tired of Cenerentola. Yeah, um, yes, you know, yeah. It's it's a it's a great option. You know, I was very fortunate enough to go to the Met earlier this year. Really, I was. That's quite cool. I was and saw um, Sandra at the Met with with my uh, friends Joyce uh, Di Donato and my uh, my friend Alice Coote. Your best, best my buddies. Best, best buddies. buddies. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and if you're listening, please do come over here in Leeds. And I'm, we'll, I'd be we'll surprised very, if they don't. Very pleased to have you on the podcast. If they're not, if they're not on this podcast within six months, I'll be amazed. Oh, thank you, Ben. Yeah, yeah. Don't mention it. Um, but I mean, it's, it's a great piece, and again, a kind Is of a great a great alternative. To some of those kind of more, uh, well, kind of the, the Cenerentola that we all. It's really interesting see all the time. what what people expect to hear. I mean, this time of year, like I just said, it's December, so Messiahs can't move from Messiahs, right, left, and centre, and they sell really well. Loads of people. You stick on Israel in Egypt, every bit as good a work, and a third of the audience turn up. We've got this situation where. When works become part of people's traditions, oh, we go see the Messiah, oh, we go see the Marriage of Figaro. And my worry is with operas is you come out of that box of the absolute zenith of the art form is your audiences are falling and falling and that Wexford are trying to do something different is is commendable and we should do more and more of it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's one thing which is finding stuff from the past to kind of bring back, which is really interesting. Yeah. There's the other side of things, which is creating lots of new operas. Yep. Yeah. I mean, tete a tete, we're going to come on to that later, aren't we? But that's what they exist for. And that's. But what I also like about that is that they change what opera is. So an opera isn't three and a half hours sat in a row listening to an opera. It becomes these 10 minute pop up things. It becomes these one act operas. It becomes. Because I think people more and more want to go to an event, and the music is part of the event, it's vital, and the performance is part of the event, but it's not the whole thing. And 
I think there's less and less willingness to just sit in rows and listen to three hours of music. I, th- I think we need to package it differently as we go forward. Is that why do you think we see country house opera continue to be yeah. so popular? Yeah, yeah, I think it is. I think people like the experience, particularly if you can put it on the country house, which isn't normally open. So there's an idea that you're going somewhere different and and you're part of a club and and there's something slightly like, oh, I've joined this club, I'm going to go to this stately house, we'll probably go out for dinner before, we'll have this experience that people don't normally get and the opera is part of it. And I think it's not it's not particularly what I enjoy. I thoroughly enjoy sitting in a row and listening to Marriage of Figaro, thank you very much, it's great. Um, but I think as opera conductors, directors, impresarios, producers, we need to think of the package that we put the art form in, the vehicle where we present it, as much as the art itself. Yeah, so that's really interesting. A, a conductor friend of mine, uh, who is not called Ben Crick, I was speaking to no, recently. Not me. He's yeah. not, it wasn't Ben, it was definitely no. wasn't you. Yeah. Uh, but it was really interesting. He was talking about one of the big opera houses he's worked at. Right. And he was saying that he sees a lot of the audience kind of go there for the event to go to an opera, rather than kind of being opera fans. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Is, is, that, a, is that a problem? No, because I think it's always been thus. I mean, Wagner famously compla- complained, didn't he, that opera had become... He thought he was going back to the ancient Greeks, didn't he, and this, um, and this quasi-religious sort of... The whole community was involved in the art, encapsulated the community, and in doing so, sort of like rejuvenated and gave rebirth to the community. And he said by the late mid-19th century, it had become a passive entertainment for tired businessmen and their wives, and it's lost. Mm. I think there's always been this situation where opera is a thing to be seen at and a thing to be going at, and I think there is some of that, which is why tete-a-tete and that sort of thing where we're going, right, this is the opera, we're going to stick it on in King's Cross Station or whatever, and people are going to turn up, see it, there's an immediacy, we can engage with the act, the art, and I think that is truer to what some of the great composers were trying to do than, than going and sitting at Covent Garden and seeing Tosca again. Mm, very interesting. We will come yeah. on to Tete Tete. Yeah, yeah. We, a bit we, later. We've bigged them up too much already, haven't we? Let's, let's get no, not so. I'm sure they'll be very yeah. pleased. I'm sure they will, yeah. Uh, Hiya, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Wexford's new season. Go and, uh, go and take a look, Iwa. And if you'd like to offer us a couple of tickets and some flights, we would be yeah. delighted yeah. To, go and, uh, to go and take a look at what you've got on. Super. Moving on. Um, Royal Northern College of Music over in Manchester have announced uh, what is believed to be the first conservatoire yeah. lecturer in health and well-being. Uh, Sarah Asenso, a chartered clinical psychologist and a classically trained pianist, will, and I read from the press release, continue to develop the health and well-being provision across the college, ensuring that it is holistic, tailored to musicians' needs, research-based and embedded in the curriculum. Good move by the RNCM? Yeah. Yes, it is. it's zeitgeist. It's of the moment, isn't it? There's an awareness of, of mental health. And the music industry, for years, it is it's brutal. And it's fun. It's this, um, was it Offenbach that said music is a glorious art form and a wretched industry? <laughs> I'm, 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 I will be happy to be corrected if you want. I think it was Offenbach. But the music industry, it can be fairly unforgiving. It can be, it can, it can drop people. People can be crest of a wave one day and no work later. Um, and I think, and particularly, it's complete. It's really unstable. You don't know how much work you got in next year or whatever than that. I think it's needed. I think you're under a lot of pressure at these colleges, and anything that opens people's view of things. So it's not. Just about how there's more to life than how well you play the violin, mm. and if that become and it can become all about how well you play the violin, and some of that can expand people's view, and 
and keep them sort of like, yeah, in a, in a state of mental well-being. Perhaps they didn't play it. They did a recital and it didn't do as well as they wanted. We've all been there. It didn't go as well as we wanted it to go. Someday that can show perspective to that, that it's not the end of your career, it's not the end. Have you thought about this? Have you talked through it this way? Keep going. Somebody to provide support at that moment, I think is actually really useful. Yeah, and I, it is good. Yeah, and I think that's really key there, particularly about musicians or, or, or artists. As you said, that there's there are lots of jobs and uh, situations which are quite stressful, which are quite straining on one's mental health. But yeah. when kind of the core part of who you are is what is constantly being critiqued. Yeah. Very difficult to separate the criticism of your art and thinking of it as a criticism of you as a person, yeah. I suppose. I think singers, it's probably worse. I, was, I trained the cellist. Originally, I was a cellist. I think for singers, it's probably even harder because if somebody says, I don't like your voice, at least if someone says, I don't like your cello playing, I can look at, I'm holding this instrument. Blame the cello. Yeah, I'm playing the cello. I'm playing the cello. Yeah, it's not. It's probably my fingers. <laughs> but I can play the cello. And there's, there's, a, there's an abstract. There's a step. There's me, instrument, audience. If you're a singer... It's you, it's you, you yeah. audience. So I think it's very, very, if somebody says, oh, actually, the top of your voice see, is, is, is narrow and the vibrato is too fast and I don't like it. That's you. That's I don't like it. Yeah, that's what yeah. you've got. And and another thing, I think what would be really healthy is for this person to say, even if that one person is head of casting at Covent Garden, it is their opinion. It is that one human being's opinion. I've got a couple of opera singing mates for example who sing regularly at Covent Garden but can't get through the door at companies which you would consider to be down the food chain from Covent Garden and it's simply because somebody at Covent Garden who's in a position to give out the work really loves what they do and somebody in a position to give out the work at perhaps a smaller company don't like what they do yeah so subjective well that wide perspective that that it's not all about that moment. I think that's the problem with music and mental health. It all becomes about that moment. Yeah. That moment. That and job. That moment. That job. Yeah. That moment. And and you need to open your viewpoint. And that didn't go well. But I remember when this went really, really well. But we don't do that. We forget that one. That bit that went really, really well can quickly go out of your memory. And you're left, oh, but, oh, but that B-flat wasn't as beautiful as I wanted it yeah. to be. And, and as someone that casts people for shows, it's, it's really hard to get through to people that they might be brilliant, their voice might be brilliant, yeah. you may think they're really talented, but, you know, it just doesn't work for this particular part. Yeah. And actually, that's really hard as someone that's casting to kind of say that to someone, because yeah. you know how great they are. Great, yeah. But if it doesn't fit... I had a mezzo friend who lost a job on Cosifan Tutti because the soprano was really short and she was quite tall and it looked silly. <laughs> so she launched, so they said, we're going to use a different Dorabella because you're too tall. Well, you, you've just got to suck it up at that point. You go, yep. right, whatever. Because you ain't changing that. You're not sewing your shins off, are you? So there's well, times where... I wouldn't advise. Yeah, yeah, as, we a, do as a rule. Yeah, yeah, trying to think. Yeah, we, we want the sisters both to have blonde hair. There's, yep. there's so many vagaries that you're out of your control. You've got to... Be honest to your art form. Turn up. Do what you do to the best of your ability. Be honest to how you think the art form should work. And then offer it out there. And and try it. It's, it's really hard, but try not to take it personally if somebody doesn't like it. Yeah. And you mentioned as well this kind of the environment of the conservatoire. Such a yeah. high-pressured environment. So many amazingly talented people. And let's be honest, competitors yeah, around very, you yeah. at all times. And people can get very, very competitive. It's, yeah, it's not an environment that I particularly enjoyed ever. Um, there's lots of people there and we all know there's not much work to go around. We all know there's more people than there is work and we all also know that every, you get to the stage where everyone's really good, where everyone's essentially much of a much. 
There's no, there's one or two people now and again come about and they're exceptional and they go to the stars and fair dues, congratulations, well done. But I think if you look at the industry as a whole, everybody's very good. Everyone working in the industry is very good. So it becomes, it becomes this sort of like jostling thing where everyone's just trying to put their head a bit above everyone else. And at its most unhealthy, so they do that by putting other people down. Yeah. And if you're in a situation where people are trying to put you down just to give themselves a bit of a leg up, mentally that's really tough. That's really, And if you're not the type of person that can see it for what it is and you start listening to what they're saying, oh, perhaps they're right, perhaps I'm a bit like this, um, you're in trouble. You're in, you're in trouble. And, and I think the Conservatives could do well to have a look at that and, and address it. It's, at its worst, it's bullying. At its best, I suppose, it's healthy competition. It makes you better. At its worst, it's bullying. There's a fine line. Yeah. yeah. Well, good on the RNCM and all yeah, the best well to, uh, to, to Sarah. Um, moving on. Um, as I say, we're recording this just before Christmas. You'll be listening just after Christmas, which means that you can catch up on all the wonderful opera that's been on television and radio over the festive period. Um, I was going to start Except with... Except television, because they're in tennis. Well, I was going <laughs> to start with television, yeah. uh, but there isn't anything on. No, nothing there is, year, is there? No. Which is a great shame. I remember one of my first opera experiences was watching this very odd production of Cenerentola on BBC Two, where right. they sort of recorded it and filmed it in situ. It's like kind Didn't of it. a bit outside, a bit in some sort of awful soundstage castle. Um, but that was one of the first opportunities I had to actually kind of see something. You know, it didn't come from a musical household, an operatic nope. household. It was there Christmas Day. I got I got into opera at Laboem at Christmas Day from Sydney Opera House years ago. Cheryl, somebody was singing Mimi. I think it was Cheryl Baker. I think she was called that. And I remember thinking that's somebody on kids' TV. And I was just name. thinking of um, making your mind up, Cheryl Barker. Yeah, Park. We're going to Google that before I end of this. Um, and it was from Sydney Opera House, and it must have been perhaps the early 90s, but it might have even been late 80s, I'm getting on a bit. Yeah, and there were a lad singing Rodolfo, and I thought it was great. I thought it was absolutely amazing. And then I went back and looked at it 15, 20 years later, and actually I don't think it's very good. But at the time, I thought this was amazing, and that's how I got, in, that's how I got into opera. I can confirm that Cheryl Baker was in Books Fizz, so we'll have yeah, to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's right, double... Sydney Opera House, Lab OM, Cheryl Barker, and see what comes up. I might let the audience do that in the room. Right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. But uh, just so we're not going mad, she definitely was in Books Fizz. Good, good. Um, so there's nothing on TV, unfortunately. However, there is quite a lot on radio over the Christmas period. Um, picking out a couple of, of highlights, La Fanchula del West at the Met, Eva Marie Westbrook and Jonas Kaufman. Porgy and Bess, Boxing Day. It's a nice bit of family right, drama yeah, for family Boxing Day. day. Yeah. Uh, with uh, John Wilson conducting. Gutta Damorung, the final instalment of the Royal Opera House's Ring Cycle, 29th of December. And then Otello, 5th of January, from the Met. And listen to this. Dudamel conducting. Yoncheva Desdemona, Skelton, Otello, yeah, an all-star cast. Probably be rather good, that so won't be, it, yeah. It'll be very, very yeah, good. It, yeah, it will probably, yeah. Anything there catch your ear? I mean, it'll be great, won't it? Yeah, yeah. I'll probably, I'll definitely, actually, I'll probably listen to Porgy and Best, to be honest, because that's the one I know the least. Mm. So it does raise the question, though, doesn't it, of, of opera on the radio? How much of it is, because uh, that'll be a recording of a stage performance, I assume, yeah. they all are, aren't they? Um, if you take away the movement, the costume, the set, and you are left with just the music, what you drag, how much are you dragging out of the art form? How much are you dragging out of the experience to have it just as the music itself? Is well, it? 
Yeah, my, my thoughts on this have kind of changed over the years because my kind of background is more in theatre. It is, isn't it? So like, I originally I remember, yeah. came to opera as kind of uh, as a theatre person. Yeah. So the music was lovely, but for me it was much more about the story, the staging, yeah. the characters, and it certainly still is. But I think the more that I've um, become part of the the opera world, opera shall we say, you and you have, per, yeah, per se, um, understanding how the music tells the story. At its best. At its yeah, best. Yeah, at its best, yeah. You know, at its worst, it's some sort of, like, pretty accompaniment to yeah. whatever people are flouncing around doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's very best. You know, we, we mentioned Good Damring is, is in there. Those yeah. those sort of pieces, you know, the way that the music kind of leads things forward and the way that the conductor, essentially, is also the director. Yeah. You know, the, the how they move the pieces are. around, yeah. you know, yeah. is, is absolutely kind of core to it. So... Uh, I, I don't understand these people that go to the Opera House and shut their eyes and listen to it for three hours. You do get that, don't you? You just listen to it on the radio. But, yeah. you know, I do see a little bit of, uh, of you know, that importance of the music. I always thought that I wouldn't like just the music. That, that, that I, Obviously, I've got a load of opera recordings, but they almost become learning tools or historical records of how yeah. somebody else has done it. But then I saw a concert performance by Simon Rattle in Birmingham with Cosi Fantuta again, years and years ago. And the drama he got in to people essentially stood still singing was incredible. But the onus on the conductor to make it a narrative, to make it a narrative without any of the additional props of moving costume set, blah, 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 is is absolutely imperative. The conductor has got to do a proper job. Now, them people doing it there, I'm sure, will do a rather wonderful job. Um, But it's so, so important that people's only experience of opera isn't just sound completely I mean Wagner again we've gone a bit haven't we he was absolutely <laughs> that music's a bit of this but this is total art this is total art and everything is, is coming towards that same place so there's, everything is drawing the listener to that holistic artistic experience so it's great that it's on radio have a good listen but it's a shame there's not so much on telly I agree. Although I will um, top tip, if you've got Amazon Prime, yeah, um, found hidden in Amazon I Prime haven't. are many, many operas, recorded operas really? um, from all over the world. Yeah, some really? wonderful productions in there. Um, so if you are a Prime subscriber, I might find the eight quid a month or whatever yeah. it is. Too. Ty- yeah, type yeah. in opera, and there's a lot yeah. of stuff on there. Um, also, of course, Opera Vision. If you're not familiar. Um, an EU-funded project. Uh, there's about one every couple of weeks goes up, often live performances, and they stick around for six months or a year. Yeah. Lots of different stuff on there. Some weird and wonderful stuff um, as well. So do check out Opera Vision. Um, I, I don't want to talk too much about Wagner, but I would just like yeah, to... Yeah, we seem to have brought him up a lot, don't we? our attention to the, to the Götterdammerung, 29th of December. Now, of course, this is a Royal Opera House's latest ring cycle, sold out within a day, if not a, a, a few hours. Two minutes. Two yeah. minutes. Um, impossible to get a ticket. Why, Ben, can you answer the question, please? Are we so obsessed with the ring cycle? Oh, I don't know. I, think, <laughs> I mean, it is. A there is something about scale. There is something about the scale of the thing. It is vast. It is massive. And when you're, when you're in it, there is something all-encompassing about it. I think there's also there's a whole folklore almost built up about it. People feel they should see a ring cycle. People feel it's... It's something you should go see. I'm sure, I'm sure there's people going to see it at Covent Garden who love it and get it and are well into a proper opera buff. I'm sure there's people going that think this is an experience that you should do. You should go see a, a ring cycle at a top opera house. And it's it's a world in the way that Tolkien creates Middle Earth for Lord of the Rings. It's the whole world Wagner creates in the ring cycle. And it it has got some moments of of staggering beauty and something if most opera is the 
the story of things that happen, the ring cycle and late Wagner is is all about what things do to people. So it's not so much, it's not driven by the drama. It's driven by something more internal, by something um, of the psyche, something that says, this is how this is how we as humans, as humanity reacts to situations. And you get this, 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 this situation where people like scour the music and words of Hans Sachs in, in Meistersing as if, as if, the story of every man is contained in there. And we study the words and music of Wotan as if the secret of the world is, is contained in what he, he says. And there is something... I think the end of the world is the end what of, he well, says, Ultimately, it? the end of the world is what he, <laughs> in what he said it is. And I think it, it forces people to look in and people will always, always be attracted to something that forces us to examine who we are and how we would react to those situations. And Wagner, it, it does do that. I can't, how it does that is, I couldn't even, I couldn't even quantify it or say. But it is, it's about us, it's about humanity and people are ultimately drawn to that that collective. Yeah, I think for me, in, in a way, it's a shame it's so long because actually... It goes on. Some, right, this is controversial. Some of it's boring. It, it is, it is. That first bit of Gerda it goes on. It does go on. Now, I, I will slightly disagree and say yeah, yeah. I, I'm not necessarily bored by the ring, but for me, it's, it's a shame it's so long because it could be an astonishing way to actually get new people engaged yeah. with opera. You know, I don't think you could persuade anyone to sit down for all 15 hours if they've never seen an opera before. In German. But thinking yeah. in German. Yeah. But thinking about the constituent pieces, you know, it's basically Lord of the Rings, as you it's said. It is. There's, there's a world. ring that rules them all. Yeah. There's a dragon. There's giants. Yeah. There's, there's, there's trolls. Um, you know, it's. Um, it's an, an astonishing story. You know, and if I was a crazy billionaire, yeah. I would get someone to make the most amazing kind of CGI, yeah, Hollywood big film. budget Hollywood yeah. ring film. And it would, be, it would be extraordinary. It'd be great. It'd be great. It would be great. But what they'd do is they'd edit it. The, the first thing they'd do well, is we'd, we'd have, we'd have a seven out. film series, wouldn't we? Yeah, you actually, know? we would. Yeah, we'd we go would, full yeah. Harry Potter with it. Yeah. Well, they managed to do that with The Hobbit. With The Hobbit. Which oh, didn't deserve no, three films. No, we're not going to go on to The Hobbit. The first thing, it could have filled a film, not three. Yeah. yeah. first one was fine. second one was sort of all Pointless. right. Yeah, the yeah. third one, oh my word. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Anyway, we digress. We, we do we, we digress. Do. Um, right, yeah. But yeah, lots of listening and uh, no viewing, but I say... Prime yeah. is my is my top is my top tip, and there you can see a ring cycle as well. Can you? You, yeah. you definitely can. Yeah. Um, or you can go on YouTube and you can watch Richard Farns conduct the whole thing when he did it with Opera. Is North. that on YouTube? Yeah. Because Condu- that was really Conductor good. Conductor cam. Watch charge, can you? Yeah. See, this is why this is why I hang out with you. I learn stuff. Because <laughs> Richard Farns was great doing that. Do you know what's great about him? Loads of conductors. The minute it says forte let alone fortissimo, it's big wavy hand gestures. Everything's big. Everything's big. Richard Farns. Everything stays small, controlled, until one or two moments. And the effect that have on the arc, if you hold it all there until the one or two moments where suddenly you, you it's, it's a big, big movement from the conductor, the reaction that gets from the orchestra is quite amazing. And that came to the fore in, in, in that set of ring cycles that Opera Nost did. He was, he was brilliant. He was really, really great. It's a shame he's left. Yeah, you know a lot better than me. I do love a flaily conductor, though. Well... You know what I also... I love a yeah. Bernstein, you know, who's yeah. really sort of... Well, he's involved act. in a bit camp. What, interpretive dance? Yes, that's, that's, absolutely. That's what I love, I love yeah, a little yeah, jig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he likes to dance in Bernstein, yeah. doesn't he? It's, I mean, that's a, that is a, that's a podcast on its own, the art of conducting. Um, but yeah, I what I don't like is conducting to the gallery. When I think a conductor's doing something, which is conveying nothing to the players, but making that conductor looking great to audience. <laughs> don't, I think, don't have any, any track to that at all. Um, but yeah, but yeah. 
convey the story. Convey the story in gesture. But it ain't about you. It's not about you. It's about the sound you create from the musicians. And a lot of conductors can do well remembering that. Oh, yeah. Conducting yeah. Masterclass from Ben Quick. Well, yeah. That's, yeah. No, that's free. Ladies that's free. That's free. That's free. free advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, super. Next. Tete a Tete, yes. uh, the uh, festival of new opera held every year in London, have just launched a new YouTube channel promoting new opera. Uh, you can go on YouTube and search for My New Opera. Uh, it's a mix of Tete a Tete content, and you can even tag your own videos, and they'll include them in there as well in some sort of magical internet digital thing that, that they do. Um, I think what's really interesting about kind of the work that, that Tete a Tete do is they produce so many, or they showcase so many new operas yeah. every year. Every year, yeah. So many new ideas, and then they never get seen again. Everyone wants world premieres. Everyone wants to stick on their poster that this is a world premiere. Nobody wants to say this is a second performance or something. It, I, I think that is a thing. That is definitely a thing. And it's not just opera. It's across, it's across classical music. There's loads of stuff that's done once. And you never hear it again. And I think it's fair to say that some of those probably should never be seen again. But that's a good thing about new music. There's an ex- you should expect that some of it's rubbish. That's, that's, <laughs> the, that's the journey, isn't it? That, that I'm sure, I'm sure, um, in the 1780s, when Mozart's writing Figaro, Giovanni, Codifantuti, I'm sure there were plenty of rubbish in, by other people, instant amongst them, that we never, never hear. Good, good riddance. But... We've got to have that environment where people are creating loads that that pushes a few gems to the top. Yeah, well, that's good. I don't, I don't mind sitting through something that's a bit rubbish. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> fine. That's fine. I've learned something. Yeah, and I know what not to do. Um, but I saw something at Tet a few years ago. It was called oh, Like Mother, Like Daughter or something. And it was a 10-minute opera for two singers, a soprano and a mezzo. And the soprano was the mother... And the mezzo at the start of the 10 minutes got born and grew up in those 10 minutes and at the end of the opera was nursing the dying mother. And it was this sort of like circular idea of of parent-child love and how that developed through the life of a human in 10 minutes. Orlando Goth, I think, wrote it off the top of my head. One for Google. It was brilliant. It was one of the best things I have seen in a long, long time. I think two cellos, two singers, that were it. Maybe Wagner could have learned something about brevity. It was incredible. It was incredible. To sum up, essentially, the, the, the life of two human beings in in 10 minutes and say something that affected everyone in that audience was, was genius, was brilliant. But surely that's the thing, that even these ones that, you know, are very good, that people really like, yeah. they, they kind of go in a drawer and never get, never get seen again. Are we, are we kind of now entering a world where, you know, new opera, it has to live through YouTube? YouTube, I think, I think that's the Certainly whole, the smaller scale the stuff. The smaller scale stuff. Well, the small East scale stuff should be easier to do elsewhere because it's not... Opera is financially prohibitive. In many, expensive. many cases, it costs an absolute fortune. Whereas two cellos, two singers, no set, should be doable. I've always thought, I, I never... I, I, Tim, Tim Burke, is conductor of... Um, I keep threatening to ring Tim and going, Tim, can we do a Northern version called Ed to Ed? It'd be brilliant <laughs> if it's not like this Northern version of it. And... The stuff that does very successfully down there, give it another outing. Give it another outing up here. and um, Or anywhere, based on that. It doesn't have to be up here. It can be anywhere. Um, and let some of these great works be heard again. Because you're right, they're not. They're, they're, they're very rarely done again, in my experience. I never heard of them. Yeah. But even some of those bigger ones never get never get seen again. Even those, yeah. you know, you get on your, your opera houses and your, your but, Mets and whatnot, you know, yeah. they're, they're in there. Did you see Anna Nicole, the opera at Covent Garden a few years ago? Really funny. Really, first act potential, for particularly, first act I really enjoyed. 
dwindled around a bit in second. First Ben's official review. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First yeah. act potential, yeah, second dwindled. It dwindled, but it was really funny. Three good. stars. Have you ever, anyone else done it? I think it was revived. Was it? Yeah. At Covent Garden. At Covent Garden. Covent Garden. Yeah. That was a good work. That, that, there's plenty of stuff done that's no better. That was worthy of a review, and I've not seen it done. And what's 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 the problem? Do we think? Let's let's be let's be kind of you know general and judgmental yeah. here. Are, are yeah, the works good, just, are the works just just not interesting? Are the audiences just not willing to give it a go? Is it just mm. too expensive? It's really expensive. The thing is, you're taking a punt, aren't you? I mean, I dread to think what Anne Nicole cost to put on, but we're in millions. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot of money. You can probably put on a marriage figure cheaper, and you're probably going to sell more money, more tickets to marriage figure. There is there is. There is a fine. There, there is a financial reality. There is a financial reality to art, that that it's got to. Even if it's going to be funded, which it always is, it's, it's got to be funded. The funder come. The, the funders want to see its value for money. If they're spending an absolute fortune on opera or anything that that people aren't engaged, that people don't particularly want, that people aren't coming to watch, that people that people feel just a a jolly. For the few people interested in, they're not going to fund it. Um, well, is that what we kind of spoke about before? That a lot of those yeah. opera audiences are there for the occasion, that's you know. So they, the fear in it. So they that's want a Figaro. So actually, that kind yeah. of audience for opera is now so small. Yeah. Well, you know, smaller than it it's, needs to be to be able to sustain anything that's slightly more challenging. Yeah, or that's, it's, it's it, new. It requires philanthropy, basically. It requires people, but but it always has. It always yeah. has. Haydn yeah. was funded by the Esterhards. That is one. This is not yeah. new. We don't have so many kind of dukes and barons around. Yeah, yeah that's what we need. We, yeah, yeah, actually, no, we don't need anymore. No, no, no. We don't. <laughs> Let's keep them. Yeah. I was talking to one recently, some guy that owned a big stately home, and I asked him, how did how did you get this? And he said, oh, my ancestors. It was some battle. One, they were on right side in some battle, and he'd got this, <laughs> and he'd kept it for centuries. So I reckon the natural conclusion is I should be able to fight him for it. Because he, <laughs> he won it in a fight. So if me and him have a scrap and I beat him, can I have his house? Is that, is that, is that how we dish I'm out I'm not sure that's things? the law anymore. It's, it's, it's not all been progress, has it? Cause that, that is, and then I'd have a big stately house, and I'd put operas on it. It'd be great. Yeah. And again, I digress, but I, it does need to be attractive to the funders. It, it, it. The reality is that it ain't going to break even on ticket sales. It's not going to happen. And if the funders are accountable, because it's it's lottery money, it's essentially public money. Mm. They have to be accountable. They have to be say this is is needed, desired, wanted by enough people to justify the investment. And I think it'd be very difficult to make that argument for big, expensive modern opera. Now, one opera that has actually done quite well is Silent Night, contemporary opera by oh, Kevin yeah. Kevin Putz. Um, and if I remember correctly, I think it's had 15 different productions since it's, it premiered. It's so of the moment, though. It's, it's, for those that don't know, it's about the football match in it in the middle of the First World War. Yeah, so yeah. we're centenary, that's I was going to centen- say, celebrations, commemorations. Ce- celebration seems the wrong word, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't it? Yeah. We're marking the uh, 100th anniversary of the First World War, so it is a timely it's piece. It's a timely piece, um, yeah. It is also, must, have you seen it yourself? No, it is totally honest, I haven't. No. a very, very good piece. It's good, it's good. It's um, good. Opera North have recently done kind of a semi-staged version, yeah. um, which was absolutely brilliant, well, um, yeah. which I think has now finished. But um, again, talking about radio, it is, uh, I think, still on Radio 3 by the time that you're, right. you're listening to this, so... Um, do check it out. Um, but you know, as we said, those those main stage operas are so few that get the yeah. subsequent performances. That is one of the the shining lights. And it, and it, as we say, it's of them. I think you've for that to happen, it's got to be of the moment. It's 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 perfectly. So it's the centenary of the war. So it's that silent night, December, the Christmas link. Obviously, we're at that time. If you're 
putting some on. And I think a lot of the people putting on operas now, when you're planning repertoire and stuff like that, I think they're having a chat with the marketing people. I think it, it's well, a bigger decision yeah. than just artistically what we want to do. And if you're a marketing person, you think, well, actually, look at all the angles I can come at that from. I can I can talk to the press about this angle, that angle. I can generate interest. And so from a company perspective, it's a good one to do. And I think that's why that's had so many p- performances. Yeah. Well, I, I, as you said, it's the realities. I think yeah. you, have to, you have to look at it from the different angles. You know, uh, anniversaries are very good. Yeah. You know, hooks. theme season, anything that you can kind of try and attract people to. Yeah. Is, you know, it's just kind of a necessary reality of it's the, a reality. the market. Yeah, it's a reality of the market. But I also think it's healthy that... We don't forget that because an awareness of the market, an awareness of the place of opera is, stops it from becoming ivory tower. If we just sit in our tower and plan artistically what's great, yippee do, we'll have a lovely time. We'll but, have a lovely yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, and have a very nice time. When you've got great. your country house. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sat there discussing why this opera is great and that opera is great. <laughs> but by keeping it in sort of talking to the marketing people, make sure people come, it has a place in society. It's got to fit into the society it's in. It don't, we don't want it to be separate. We want it to be in this society. And those market realities are one of the things that, that keep us honest, I think. Yeah. And it's always nice when people come and see things. You know, It's yeah. always a bit dispiriting when you've got 20 people in the it crowd. Is. You know? It is. It's horrible. I've, I've been As there. lovely we've a time as you're having. Yeah, it's rubbish. Yeah, <laughs> we've, all, yeah we've, we've performed to thousands and we've performed to few, and I know which I prefer. I'd prefer to have thousands there, thanks very much. Even if it's uh, a figure I was... Uh... Even if it, even if it's, well, I mean, Messiahs this time of year, that's the Messiah. <laughs> then I've done so so many Messiahs, I must, I must have conducted 50. Um, but think but about, think about the bank can, balance there. Think, exactly, well, to be honest, because then you don't get any work in January, so yeah, yeah, you need, <laughs> you, you need to make A when the sun shines, ironically, done in December. Um, <laughs> but it is, that's what, that's what you do. But it's a great work, the Messiah, and you mustn't forget that it's a great work. So, yeah, people like it, and you do a load. Every time you stand on that podium and conduct the Messiah, it's still a great work. And I hasten to add it. I looked at the audience and wondered how many of you perhaps voted Brexit, and that what you're listening to is a piece of music written by a German living in England who trained in Italy and first performed it in Ireland. This is a, this is, the Messiah is a product of free movement. It's it drawn all those influences together. Um, the German sort of like the Lutheran religious tradition via the Bach Passions as the Italian opera school writing, the florid writing in the chorus and in some of the solos. But it's um, the market forces are English. He writes it because he's a jobbing composer working in London he writes it for that. And then it gets done in Ireland because... Actually, I don't know. Do you know why it got done in Ireland first? Because I actually don't. Is it not a fundraiser? Second performance were for Foundling Hospital. Google. I remember, but I remember, walking, yeah, I remember walking past a plaque when I, was in, when I was in Dublin. And this was where it was. Yeah. Yeah. can't remember why. But it's amazing. It's a product of free movement. And, and we think it's this great Yorkshire tradition... To listen to the Messiah at Christmas, um, back when I was a sixth former in Uddersfield, I'm from Uddersfield, I used to sing in Uddersfield Choral Society when I was doing my music K-levels, and it was a thing, you did the Messiah, it's sold out in minutes, mm. you do Israel and Egypt, it's all full, it's every bit as good a work, but it's that, it's how that work is viewed and where that work sits in people's tradition and people's outlook in art, which is why it sells out. Now you did bring up the B word. Yeah, I did. Will, yeah, I've we got will touch, many opinions. We will touch briefly on that. I say we're we're recording seventeenth of December, so 
Yeah. Who knows Who where knows? on earth we yeah. are in a, in, a, yeah. in a few weeks' time. Prime Minister um, Gove still hasn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, could, could yeah. We just do a couple of takes and we'll just yeah, take yeah, out yeah, whichever yeah, one. Yeah, you yeah. Know, is, uh... Well, the one we'll take out is um, Prime Minister May. <laughs> <laughs> that, that one's obviously gone. We'll be doing that. We'll we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is a big talking point, obviously. You know, across the country, but you know, in in the classical music world, yeah. in in the opera world, you know, there's so much uncertainty we've got yeah. david poutney now with his polish citizenship so he can go <laughs> off still working we've got good, sarah connolly leading choruses of people outside she's not happy is she sarah? she's, she's not Sarah's dame not sarah dame sorry sarah i'm very sorry Ms. sorry connolly. dame sarah yeah yeah no, she's uh, she's bang on the money if you ask me the thing is as jobbing musicians we work across europe i this summer was conducting the lithuanian chamber orchestra of all as things do. as you do a couple of gigs in uh, in norway as, as well i know they're outside the eu but we do you you do tour and you do conduct across the continent and the fear is I'm sure there'll be a way where we can still work in Europe but if you're a company and you're in Europe and you're looking to book a conductor or whatever I suspect it'd be a lot easier just to book a French person mm. and, the, and and let's not delude ourselves that we have unique musical talents we're very good and we work very hard and we're, and we're very musical there's a lot of French people that work very hard and very good and very musical, a lot of German people a lot of it, we, we, we're not uniquely talented in any way um, so it's going to be easier for them just to book somebody inside EU if we leave. And I fear, I fear, I fear that there'll be a, a shrinking of the industry in this country. We'll lose a lot of work, and some of, and we learn from people coming over here. Oh, absolutely, it works the other way. It works absolutely the other way. It's our musicians, yeah. you know, going into the continent, but it's also bringing bringing people here. Yeah, and some real quality. And that I used the Messiah as an example earlier. This music written by a German living in England, trained in Italy, first performed in Ireland. It's not a new thing. We've always been a product of that free movement and that sharing of ideals. And I'm sure we have in many other industries. I just don't know about it. Um, I know about music. Um, it's it's a it's a real worry. And it's a shame. It's a shame. It's nice to be part of something. Well, who knows? Let's cross our fingers. Yeah. Make a wish. Make a wish. Although 52% of the country disagree with me, don't they? So, <laughs> so, so like, yeah. I'm in minority. Uh wonderful. We will we will move on from yes. there. Given the uncertainty, we will I'm sure we'll return to it. Uh, yeah. Again and again in the in the future. Yeah. Um. So talking about uh, singers coming over here and making an impression. Um. Recently at the Royal Opera House, uh, the Carmen Tanya Baumgartner uh, was ill, so her understudy. Oh, twenty two. Had to, yeah, had yeah. to step in. Uh, nothing unusual there, but the unusual thing being that Agol Akhmet Sheena, the Yetta Parker young artist who took over her from was twenty two years yeah. old. Now that is a, a mere baby That's in the incredible. opera world. Incredible. You're singing Carmen. Yeah. At the Royal Opera House Royal at twenty two. When was most, a, most are still at conservatory. That's. I was amazed when I heard that, but then I went on uh, YouTube and had to listen to it. Oh my <laughs> word, really she good. is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Most people don't sound like that at twenty two. Yeah, I'll put links in the show notes because yeah. neither can I well I can't pronounce her name certainly no, no, that you could I. then tube into yeah. into into the internet but she's quite a talent she, she, she is and also I do wonder if it I mean Carmen I don't know how calm, old Carmen's meant to be but she's not an old she's young isn't she I've seen some old Carmen's oh I've seen some old Carmen's it's nice to have a 22 yeah, year old yeah. Carmen yeah Don Jose getting seduced by Carmen's mum that's what, <laughs> that's what it often looks like. No offence. Um, but yeah. Well, actually, there, is, there are some Don Jose's as well. Actually, actually yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah actually, there are. Roberto yeah. Alanya really needs to, yeah, yeah. you know, Bless step him. back. Yeah. Bless him. But he's getting on, isn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he is, yeah. But no, I, th- I, th- I think opera is going to make... Uh, it used to be cast on voice. It used to be cast exclusively on voice. And then directors started to get him and say, look, can we have somebody who can at least act a bit, can like move? And I reckon designers are getting a say now. Say, come on, that looks ridiculous. Let's let's do something. And, and a 22-year-old Carmen, I mean, an, an exceptionally talented 
bizarrely yeah. talented 22 yeah. year old. We shouldn't just focus on the age. Yeah, yeah. But we're I mean, focusing on it because it's, it's, it's quite unusual. unusual. It's unusual. That's what makes her a talking point. But she, she, she can clearly do a job. They wouldn't just give it to her because she looks right. No. And she, she was playing Mercedes in the production, production we should say, yeah, as well. So, yeah. you know, she had a pretty, pretty big pretty job. Decent role. And, and she did, she's amazing. And so she can clearly do a job. People that really know their stuff at Covent Garden has gone, yeah, she can do it. So, if if you if football term in it, if you're good enough, you're old enough, and well, well, perhaps I mean, I suppose my my question, which you'd know far better than me, is you know, twenty two. I mean, maybe to do one performance of Carmen, maybe to do a couple, but yeah, you know, is tw- is twenty two really the right age for a, a main stage career? Not saying that you know she is, yeah. but you know, for, in terms of vocal development, vocal. there's a reason why singers train for years and years and years. She's clear. She's clearly bizarrely advanced. She's clear. She's clearly way beyond where everyone else is at twenty two. Um. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if it lasts, won't we? We will. We, we will, will try and remember yeah. the name. Yeah, I'm sure it won't be difficult. I'm sure we'll see the name I'm everywhere. Sure, I'm sure we will. Yeah. I'm sure we will. Uh, so finally, from the uh, astounding to the, quite frankly, bizarre. I don't know if you've seen this, Ben, but Tilda Swinton, one of the finest actresses of our age, she's created a music video to Anthony Roth Costanzo singing a lovely bit of Handel, yeah. Um, yeah. starring her spring of spaniels dancing around on a beach. It's what Handel would have wanted. It's definitely, it's, it's definitely what Handel had in mind. Handle um, for dogs. Be, be, uh, yeah, Handle for dogs. Uh, it's just weird and bizarre, isn't it, really? It's, it's madly entertaining. Um, all the best, not doing any harm, um, but per, perhaps not what Handel had in mind. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's part of this bigger project, we should say. This isn't just something yeah, that yeah, she's, she's bored one Sunday and Sunday. decided to, to kind of... Uh, train her dogs to kind of dance around dance on the beach. Around a bit, yeah. um, it's part of Opera Philadelphia's Glass Handel Project, which is a 66-minute art installation to the music of Handel and Philip Glass, sung by Costanzo, and it features contributions from, and again I quote from the press release, Excellent. luminaries from the world of art, no fashion, less. dance and film, including Swinton James Ivory of um, Merchant Ivory Oh, I, I didn't know that, but... Chan Zhu Chen, the uh, Chinese artist, uh, and of course, dear dear Tilda. Um, I yeah. wonder if this is the type of thing, dare I say, that is just not quite meant for me. Uh, yeah, probably. But it's what we came we were saying earlier, isn't it? It's that the music form forms part of the event now. People are not happy just for music, and so that we. I I think this is a misguided. If I'm being dead honest, it's, it's, it's not up my alley. Um, but I I sort of like commend their effort of finding a different way to present the music. I don't think it's the right answer. Um, but People are searching. People that love the music and love the art form are trying to communicate why it's great to other people. And and the way they're trying to do this is collaborate with other art forms and, and trying to make this real. So I don't think it's the right answer, but nice one for having a go. And I'm sure there'll be more cross-art collaborations that are more to my taste. Yeah, and if you would like to see Tilda's video, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. So, Ben, every month we are asking our guests if they can suggest one of their hidden gems, one of those great pieces that is just not heard. It was not heard ever. The one I'd go for, Mendelssohn. Mendelssohn. Oh, Mendelssohn. The Hochzeit de Camacho, the wedding of Camacho. Camacho's wedding. Marriage Figaro is called Marriage Figaro. It should be Figaro's wedding, shouldn't it? But anyway, so this is Camacho's wedding. Um, It's Mendelssohn. He wrote it when he was 16, as Mendelssohn tended to do. Um... The first performance was was ghastly, apparently. Nothing to do the music as a performance, and it's sort of like never really recovered. But there are recordings out there. Um, it's great. Have a listen. It's in the different the Freischutz, um, Louis Spohr's tradition, that German. It comes with magic flute, magic flute, Freischutz, Louis Spohr, Yezonda, um, music, and it's in that tradition. And it's 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 just before Mendelssohn writes the Octet 
and the Midsummer Night's Dream music. So it's sort of like on the cusp of his of, of his mature music writing, and it's great. It's fun. It's skillfully done, and it shows it shows sort of like the climax of his musical education, and it's brilliant. Have a listen. I'm so pleased you've chosen Mendelssohn. I, I love I love these kind of composers that we know so well, but yeah. you never realise that they did operas. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that isn't one I'm familiar with. I, mean, I I do know um another one of his operas, um, Return of the Stranger. Yeah. Quite well, which is a great. It's a silly little salon piece. There's, there are a, a few silly, of them. As yeah. silly little salon pieces go. Dubai and Padagogan, the two teachers as well. It is the that's a silly little. It's two contrasting arguments about um how to educate a kid, and one's going to be right nice to a kid, and one's going to hit him with a stick till he learns it. And it's funny and it's daft. Of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's good. It's good. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, have a look at the, the Mendelssohn wrote a few operas. Have a look at them. And to end today's episode, uh, we're going to do a little bit of an opera quiz. Now, agreeing to take on Ben is co-director of Chapel FM, Tony Macaluso. Thank you for joining us. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, he's Italian. It gives him an unfair advantage. Well, for today's quiz, we're going to go German. Hey! <laughs> and uh, it's a little bit of uh, pitting yourselves against each other. We're going operas by a particular composer. We're okay. going to keep going. Until someone gets stuck. This could be brief, but let's do it. Let's do it. I'm going mainstream with today. Good. We'll start with Tony. Please name me an opera by Wagner. Die Valkyrie. Ben. Goethe Demerung. Tony. Die Meistersinger. Parsifal. Tannhauser. Lohengrin. The Flying Dutchman. I'll give you that. It's to flee into Hollander. But we'll give you a Dutch. We'll give you a we'll, Dutch. We'll accept it. I knew I wouldn't have the German. Yeah, yeah. I knew I wouldn't have the German. Uh, das Liebesbot. Ah, oh, good choice. Oh, I'll get it. Cracking over Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do we do the 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 Nibel, Nibel, the ring of the Nibel? We did two of them. Yeah, oh, we did the individual operas, Tony. Oh, individual operas. Let's see here. We did Parsifal. We did Tannhauser. We did Die Valkyrie. I might be out of luck here. Gata Damerang. We did that one. Well, I've done. I've had that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think I'm out of I'm luck. I've run out of my Wagner's. I'm stalling for time and. Oh, early Wagner, earlier Wagner's. I'm out. Victor. I think we have a winner. Rienzi. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. oh he's yeah. pulled an early yeah, yeah, one out of yeah, the bag. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a three you didn't count, did it? Um, it cause Rienzi, Diefen and Das Liebesbot have never been done at Bayreuth yet, have they? He reckons that his um, canon starts with De Fliegen de Hollander. And then and before that, it doesn't count. I think we found ourselves a Wagner expert no, here. I, I was yes. never claimed to be a Wagner expert because people not expecting, jump down your throat. I was not throat. expecting Define to be mentioned in it's, this. Uh, yeah. uh, yes. It's sort of like it's it, those three. It's basically um, it's those first three operas. Um, Define is a bit like the De Freischutz and a bit like the works of Louis Spohr. It comes from that tradition. Um, das Liebesbot is a bit like Rossini, and Rienzi is a bit like Meyerbeer. And so up until then, he's copying the successful schools. And then in the Fliegende Hollander, we kick into Wagner's original voice, and it, and then he goes properly, proper Wagner, no proper Wagner, proper Wagner from there on. No looking back from then. No, no. absolutely. If the... if you haven't listened to the overture to Das Liebesverbot, I suggest you you look it up. It is the most wonderfully sort of Rossinian yeah. slash Wagnerian thing. Um, it's Rossini. It's Donizetti. It's yeah, Rossini. It's an absolute joy. I want to, and take all German pronunciations from David because all mine come via Barnsley. Well, they might come from via Hull, so I'm oh, not oh, sure. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm maybe slightly closer you're a bit to Germany, nearer. geographically you're speaking. That way. Thank you, and congratulations, Ben, and thank you, Tony, for come being on. a very valiant contestant. I won. <laughs> Pleasure. Pleasure, sir. Pleasure.
So that's all we've got time for for this first test episode of OperaCast. Can I say a big thank you to Ben for joining us today? Thank you, Ben. Not at all. It's Pleasure. Been a, a delight and joy. We'll have you back again next Thanks year. Thank you very much. Thank you all to everyone here at Chapel FM uh, for being so accommodating to us. And we'll be here every month. And we will uh, see you again in the new year.